Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. If you don't hear anything else tonight, then what I want you to hear is this. The tomb is empty and you are set free. But let me ask you a question. What if the tomb isn't empty? Let me ask you a more direct and pointed question. What if Jesus is still dead? What if he didn't rise from the dead? When I was a senior in high school, I was a really cool kid. I just want to say that first, and then I also say this. Uh, When I was a senior in high school... The Holy Spirit moved in me to have a conversation with every single uh, teammate of mine on the baseball team. So I made a list of everybody on the team, senior through freshman. And I began to have a conversation with them about their faith, about what they believe to be true about God, um, what they believe to be true about Jesus. And as I talked to every single one of them, every single one of them except for one believed that Jesus rose from the dead. His name was Brandon. And when I talked to Brandon, he was also a senior on the baseball team. He had just moved in that year. It was his first time uh, at that school, first year at that school, first year playing on our baseball team. But he's really good. And we were talking, and he said he didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And then he asked me, why, why do you believe, Drake, that Jesus rose from the dead? And I gave him two really solid answers. The first one I gave him is that the Bible says so. And then I hit this home run that my mom says so. So... <laughs> Uh, the Bible and my mom were good enough for me, but they weren't good enough for Brandon. He didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This past summer, two of my friends died. Dustin was murdered, and Brandon, just told you about him, he died from a drug overdose. Brandon died not knowing the hope of Jesus, not knowing the hope of the resurrection. And so when my dad called me this summer and told me about Brandon's death, it brought back all kinds of memories about Brandon and the conversations that I had with him about the resurrection of Jesus. And I mourn for Brandon because he doesn't know the hope that I know. But I'm also grateful for Brandon because Brandon caused me to wrestle with my faith. And I had more doubts about my faith my senior year of high school than I've had in my entire life. So I was curious. Brandon said that there was not a resurrection, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And so I was curious now if what I believed was actually true. And so I do what every curious person does. I got on Google and I typed in, did Jesus rise from the dead? And as you would imagine on the internet, there's people who think that Jesus did rise from the dead and there's people who think that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And what the people who think that Jesus didn't rise from the dead told me that my mom and my Bible never told me, well, they told me a couple things I'd never heard before. On the internet, everybody believes that Jesus was a real man who really lived, he died, and he was buried in a tomb. And most everybody thinks that that tomb is empty. They just have different explanations as to why the tomb is empty. I I learned about this theory. It's called the swoon theory. Everybody say swoon. Swoon. Swoon basically means to pass out, to faint, or to fall asleep. The swoon theory says that Jesus did not die on the cross. He simply fell asleep or fainted on the cross. And as a high school kid, I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. I I probably would have fainted if I went through all that stuff too. I mean, some some of you guys faint when you watch The Bachelor. So it's, it's like reasonable to think that the Son of God may faint when he goes through all of that. So they didn't say, they say Jesus didn't die on the cross. He fell asleep or he fainted on the cross. And then once he was buried in the tomb, he got up and he walked out. The second theory that I learned of is actually the oldest theory in the book. This theory says that the disciples of Jesus stole the body. And I was thinking, yeah, 
this may actually be a good one. This may actually be a good one. And like I said, it's the oldest one in the book. On the day of Jesus' resurrection, an angel came down. He rolled back the tomb, and there were two groups of people there. There was a group of women who loved Jesus, and there were a group of guards who hated Jesus. Everyone was terrified because there was an angel there, but the women, they went away rejoicing because their Jesus had risen from the dead. The guards, they weren't rejoicing. They were terrified because this meant their life. And so they went back to the religious leaders, and this is what happened. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has widely been circulated among the Jews to this very day. I think that maybe, just maybe, as a high school student, I was like, Yeah. If, they, if these guys murdered one of my best friends, I would probably be a little upset. I may do something crazy, maybe something even as crazy as steal his body back from them. So as a senior in high school, I was wrestling. Man, did Jesus actually rise from the dead? And it's the most important question I've ever had to answer for myself. And it's also the most important question you're ever going to have to answer for yourself. Because if Jesus is still dead then you're still dead in your sins. But if Jesus is alive, then you're set free. Paul talks about the importance of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him from the dead, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have the hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Man, if Jesus is still dead, then you're still dead in your sins. But if Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty, then you are set free. So I was having these doubts as a senior in high school, and I, w- I did what I would tell any of you to do. I went to my small group leader, and I went to my youth pastor, and I told him, these are the doubts that I'm having about my faith, about what you guys are telling me to be true. And they talked to me with me. They had conversations about me. My youth pastor, he read a book with me, You've probably heard it. It's been made into a movie now. It's called The Case for Christ by a guy named Lee Strobel, whose whole mission was to set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. But then he came to faith and began to believe that the resurrection of Jesus was true. And Lee Strobel, he talked about these two theories that I've just presented to you. Let's talk about the first one, the swoon theory, that Jesus fell asleep or fainted on the cross, that he didn't actually die. Now, when I was a senior in high school, I had a minimal understanding of what Jesus went through on the weekend of his crucifixion and his resurrection. I really didn't understand what was going on. So when I thought of Jesus and his crucifixion, I thought of something like this picture that's about to pop up. It doesn't look like it's a walk in the park. It certainly doesn't look like it's fun. 
But for the Son of God, the strongest person to ever live, the most mightiest person to inhabit the earth, it looks bearable. Maybe, just maybe, he would faint. But this is very much a PG version of what Jesus went through, of what Jesus would have looked like. Jesus would have looked something more like this picture. Let's walk through Jesus' weekend. Let's start in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying, and he's sweating drops of blood because he's so stressed about what's to come. The next day, he will bear the full wrath of God on himself for the sins of all humanity. And he's praying, God, if it's your will, please let this pass from me. But God says, no, this is my will. And he asks his friends, the disciples, to stay up and pray with them, but they can't even stay up and pray with them. Then one friend who's not even in the garden because he's betraying him behind his back shows up to the garden. His name is Judas. He betrays him with a kiss, and Jesus gets arrested and is illegally taken to trial. And as he's taken to trial by the religious leaders of the day, he's slapped, he's mocked, he's beaten. He's accused of things that he's never done. Nobody can find true witness about him. All their testimony about Jesus is false. At this point, Jesus would have been no less physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, and mentally exhausted. He would have been wiped. And then after he had trial with the religious leaders, they took him to Pilate. Pilate could find no fault in him. Pilate sent him to Herod. Herod could find no fault in him. So Herod sent him back to Pilate. Pilate could still find no fault in him. And yet, he sentenced him to scourging, to flogging. A flogging is when two Roman soldiers would tie the criminal to a post and strip him naked. They would then take a whip, cat of nine tails. At the end of this whip would have been rocks, glass, bone. And as the soldiers would have whipped into Jesus' body, It would have caught his flesh, and they would have ripped it out, exposing all of Jesus. Now, the the minimum, or I'm sorry, the maximum for a Roman citizen to be flogged was 40 times. Most of the time, the people doing the flogging stopped at 39, so they would not do anything illegal. But Jesus was not Roman, and he was a criminal. So there was no maximum amount of times they could hit him. The soldiers could hit Jesus. They could beat Jesus. They could whip Jesus until they were tired Of whipping Jesus. And so we have no idea how many times he was whipped, but we know he was beaten severely. And I believe that they were they were ready to beat Jesus because this was a holy week, a holiday week, if you will, and they were already tired, they were already annoyed with all of the stuff that was going on. And here was this rebel rouser coming in and causing a lot of disruption. They were probably furious with Jesus, so there's no telling when the beating stopped. But once it did, they took him. They put a purple robe on him, and they shoved a crown of thorns on his head, cutting into his flesh even more. At this point, it's a surprise that Jesus even lived, because most victims of a scourging died in the scourging. And then Pilate says, what do you want me to do with them? And the very people that Jesus came to save yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And so silence, Pilate sentenced him, the crucifixion. And it's a wonder he even got to carry his cross a little bit. But he was so exhausted that he fell in Simon from Cyrene. He had to carry the cross to Golgotha for Jesus. And then they nailed Jesus to that cross and they hoisted it up in the ground 
and there was Jesus. I want you to understand what Jesus went through on the cross. They probably put a nail right here in his wrist and a nail right here in his wrist. And they would have put his feet together and nailed one through both of his ankles. There would have been a little wooden block on the upright beam of the cross where Jesus could put his feet. With Jesus' arms hung above his head, oxygen would have been cut off from his lungs. And so he would have had to push himself up over and over again just to get air to his lungs. Eventually, Jesus would tire out. He wouldn't be able to push his legs up anymore. He wouldn't be able to breathe, and Jesus would asphyxiate. He would have suffocated to death after eight hours on the cross. And then just to be sure he was dead, a Roman soldier took a spear, pierced it through his side, which pierced his lung and his heart, and blood and water flowed out, signifying that he had died. They wrapped his body up and put him in a tomb. Now, when you know what happened to Jesus, it is ludicrous to assume that he fell asleep on the cross. And then he would wake up from his conveniently timed nap, unwrap himself of the cloth, push away a thousand plus pound stone, and leave. Jesus did not faint on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. So he's in the tomb. Let's get to the second theory. He's in the tomb, and there's the disciples. They're wondering, how are we going to get our guy back? Let's make this quick. The disciples were a ragtag group of people. They had no idea how to fight a group of Roman soldiers. Think about the guys that followed Jesus. You had tax collectors and you had fishermen. Was Matthew the tax collector like over there with his calculator behind the tree computing the probability of rescuing Jesus' body? I don't know. Were James and John like sharpening their fish hooks and preparing to cast nets on the Roman soldiers? I'm not sure. Was, I bet Peter was probably practicing with his little sword because he missed the first time. He's going to get somebody this time. It's ludicrous to assume that these followers of Jesus would have been able to get Jesus out of that tomb and watch of the Roman guards. It's the oldest story in the book. And there's a detail in here that I want to I highlight. The religious leaders say to those guards, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Why would they say that? They say that because if you lose a prisoner as a Roman soldier, your penalty is death, especially if your prisoner is already dead. The disciples did not steal the body. The Roman soldiers would have stopped that. The only explanation for the tomb being empty is the oldest explanation that the church has come up to prove to stand the test of time, and it is this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. It's the only explanation that has stood a test of time that Jesus is alive again. And if Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty, then you are set free. Now, I believe that the tomb is empty and I believe Jesus is alive because I've been to Israel and I've been to the two tombs that they think Jesus was buried in. There's actually two tombs they think. Now, the first one is, is, in, is in now it's in a church. They built a church over the site. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And Andrea and I, we went into the tomb. Andrea and I were in there, but Jesus wasn't in there. So then we decided we we're going to go to the next tomb. We call it the garden tomb. And I don't think this is where Jesus was buried, but it gave me even more proof that Jesus was alive. Because when I looked in the tomb, Jesus was not in that tomb. But when I looked outside the tomb, Jesus was there. I'm being for real, okay? Ethan, would you show them the picture, please? So Jesus was trying to charge me five bucks for a picture. I decided to take a selfie. Zoom in a little bit. Zoom in a little bit. Okay, zoom in a little bit more. Do you see Jesus right there? That's Jesus. He's not in the tomb. He's thinking about something deep. I don't know 
He literally tra- tried to charge me five bucks to take a picture with him. I said, Jesus, that's a little high, bro. So I've never really been good at math. I've never been good at math. But I know this. I know this. Two empty tombs equals one risen Jesus. The tomb is empty. And you are set free. So I got a question for you. If the tomb is empty and we are set free, man, why does it look like we're still living in the tomb? Some of you are hiding out of the tomb and on the stone it says dishonest. I love the line. The angels say to the people coming to visit Jesus, what are you doing here? He's not here. This is a tomb and tombs are for dead people. Jesus isn't here anymore. And if Jesus isn't there anymore, then you shouldn't be either. But some of y'all are hiding in a tomb. And on that big stone out in front, it says dishonest. And even though you've been set free because Jesus' tomb is empty, you still lie. You still spread rumors. Still gossiping. Still cheating. You're living a life of dishonesty. And no matter how hard you try to tell the truth, to live the truth, you continue to be dishonest. Because you're not looking at Jesus, you're hanging out in a tomb. And tombs are for dead people. And when you hang out with people who do dumb things, you're going to do dumb things. You're going to do dead things. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe, your tomb says dishonest on the front. Then there's some of you who are hanging out in a tomb that says selfish. You know what dead people are all about? Themselves. They're dead. They can't be about anybody else. No matter how hard you try to love other people, no matter how hard you try to put other people first, man, you've been hanging out in a tomb. And so selfishness just has you trapped and you can't even get out. It's because you're hanging out where dead people hang out. Others of you hiding behind a stone that says addict on it. Addicted to pornography, even though you so try so hard not to look at that profile, not to go to that website. Some of you are addicted to vape, even though you try, try so hard not to do it anymore. You still jump out of class and go to the bathroom to take another hit. Man, why do you do it? It's because you're living in a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. You will not be set free until you leave the tomb. And Jesus has afforded you that opportunity because he rolled the stone away. And then there's some of you who should be living in the tomb and you're just dead, dead in your sin. Remember Brandon? Man, he died hopelessly. Some of you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never put your faith in Jesus. You have no hope. And you're not set free because you haven't decided to follow Jesus, repent of your sins, and join him through baptism. Tombs are for dead people. Man, the most important question you're going to ever have to answer is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he didn't, if he's still dead, man, then you're dead in your sins. But if he did, if he's alive, then you're set free. And even if you're set free tonight, I have a question for you. 
man, why are you still hanging out in the tomb? Why haven't you left yet? I'm asking you that question, but I don't want you to tell me the answer. I'm going to ask you to tell your small group leader the answer. Tonight in the two spools back there, there's rocks. These rocks are going to signify the stone that covers the tomb that's holding you back. Man, I don't know what's written on the outside of your rock. Addict, dishonest, selfish, dead, whatever it may be. Pornography, lies, cheating, lust, I don't know. But here's what I want you to do. I want every single one of you, as we start singing tonight, to get up. Go back there or back there. Grab a rock and a sharpie. I just want you to write, this is what's on the outside of my tomb. And then your small group leaders, or you guys are getting up, your small group leaders are going to get up and go to the sides of the room. You're going to take that rock to your small group leader. Your small group leader is going to pray over you. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, for the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Some of you may be thinking, man, I've already done this. I've already told my leader, and I still keep doing it. Man, we're not going to stop praying for you because this is how we fight our battles. We look to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I know you set me free. Help me come out of that tomb. The more your leader prays for you, the more you pray for yourself, the better chance you have of running out of that tomb. So be honest tonight. Don't hide it. If it's the same thing you wrote three weeks ago, write that. Same thing you wrote at the beginning of the semester, write that. Be honest with your leader. What's on the outside of your tomb? Then you're going to take that rock. You're going to come back to your seat. And we're going to spend the rest of the night worshiping our risen Jesus who afforded us the opportunity to be set free from the tomb. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for Jesus. We don't deserve Jesus. The world is not worthy of him. But because of your great love for us, you sent him. And he accepted his mission. He took our pain. He took our penalty and our punishment upon himself. He went into the grave so that we did not have to. So Lord, I pray tonight for the students in this room as they get up and take the rocks, as they confess their sin by writing on those rocks and giving it to their leaders, I ask, Lord, that you would give them freedom tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.